I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And welcome back to On Air, everyone. It's Wednesday again. How are you doing, Alex? Happy Wednesday. I'm good. How's everything? I am good. I, of course, have a story to share with everyone, as promised. If you listen to the end last week, the very end, live on the podcast, we witnessed something quite exciting. And it was extra fun to get to share the whole experience with you, Alex, because we sort of became like like detectives, didn't we? Yeah, it was so, so, you know, if, if anyone missed this, just replay the last kind of five minutes of last week's episode where... We, we, you know, we hadn't mentioned during the episode, had we, that your father was on board this Air India 787. And at the last minute, of course, we're, we're recording, we're wrapping up the show. And you can't help, understandably, but say, uh, I've just noticed on flight radar that my dad's aircraft has just done a full U-turn and the <laughs> airspeed has dropped dramatically. And so I think I'm going to go. And we were like, okay, thanks for listening to On Air. Bye. (laughs) That that was was it. And of course, you were keeping me updated. But please explain what happened. So so we were obviously checking together after the podcast. Alex and I were like, okay, what's going on here? We were trying to see what happened to the altitude graph, what happened to the speed graph. And the speed literally halved in a matter of minutes. So we were thinking, yeah. hmm, did an engine shut down? What's going on here? So dad returns to where he departed from. And uh, the unsatisfying thing about this is that being Air India, of course, the amount of information and updates they gave were so minimal. So they literally just say, we have to go back to our origin. There's a technical problem. Okay, fine. They get back. They spend like three hours on the aircraft At which point things get really funny. I was hoping my dad could share this, but he's not here to share it. Basically, among other things, my dad was in business class uh, and people kept coming up into business while they were on the ground. The only empty seat next uh, in the cabin was next to him. So people kept coming to take selfies in the seat next to my dad. Oh, God. (laughs) As he was waiting for the delay. Then, oh, the funniest thing was that that seat next to my dad, the reason it was empty was that it, there was a tech problem, so the seat wouldn't recline. And the woman in the seat across from my dad in the aisle, her seat, apparently, the leg rest wouldn't extend. So she came after they landed and tore the entire leg rest cushion off the seat next to my dad and oh my propped God. it up as a leg rest on her seat. I was just like, this cannot get any more Air India the flight, not to mention the flight was three hours delayed to start with. And then all this happens. So, so three hours delayed at the start. <laughs> yeah. Then airborne was airborne for what? Around an hour. An hour yeah. Lands. And then does a full 180 returns yeah. back to the point of origin, makes a safe landing. So, so everything's fine. And that they just had told passengers, okay, there was a, a technical fault, but, but so, I mean, you still don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. So, he he ends up spending about three hours on the plane on the ground. Then they take them in buses to the terminal, at which point everyone is trying to get rebooked. And my dad still didn't get any explanation what happened, except some woman, the woman sitting next to him across the aisle who stole his, his neighboring seat's leg rest, said that there was a problem with the spoilers she had heard through the grapevine. So who knows? Potential that could explain the speed, right? 
if somehow they were extending yeah and then they couldn't control that so that they had to slow down what do you think i mean they could have been so obviously this the spoilers in in those scenarios wouldn't have been in any use whatsoever in that phase of the flight because they're at cruising altitude but what the flight crew could have um could have had to have dealt with is for example an alert that would have appeared in the cockpit that maybe alerted them of a fault with the spoilers or a potential fault with the spoilers sometimes those alerts can come through to pilots it, it doesn't absolutely mean that there is a fault with with uh, the spoilers and maybe it's something that they won't know until they either deploy the function that is claimed to have had the fault um for example like spoilers or flaps or, and so on and so in those scenarios, the flight crew have to take a decision as to whether they're going to divert to the nearest airport, if they're going to return to point of origin, if they're going to continue and deal with any issue that may arise should, for example, they go to deploy the spoilers and the spoilers are, for whatever reason, unable to deploy. So, Just yeah, I mean, it's an interesting plane. one. They're probably secured with the duct tape, knowing the 787. <laughs> but well uh, it's weird isn't it because these are not really these are not old aircraft and yet you know look at what you've just described nothing's working in the cabin the aircraft has a tech fault it's returning to point of origin they were on the ground but the bit before you go on i wanted to ask you if you were the passenger rather than your father in this scenario after having returned back to the point of origin due to a tech fault would you have then sat on the aircraft for another three hours with the hope of <laughs> being airborne again or would you have offloaded yourself well they were at a bus gate so i don't think there was really an option to be like i'm out of here you know um i i think there's always an option they're <laughs> on the ground <laughs> okay they can they can make it happen i mean to because i think we both know what my position in this scenario would have been which is why i asked you that question but the thing is you wouldn't even have been on that plane to begin with that reminds me guys stay tuned for the very end of the episode because i have promised to quiz alex today on would you rather airline edition so that's going to be really juicy and we're going to oh, get to see God. a true the true colors of alex coming out <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, something so. to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. So, so dad obviously does not offload himself. However, one would do that. Right. Um, so finally, he gets into the terminal, and the weird thing is that when he gets there, they don't let everyone out to sort of back to the departures area, but everyone gets to stay at the gate area where they apparently have two agents who are supposed to help on this sold-out 787. So there's like 300 passengers waiting for help from two agents. Luckily, since my dad was in business, he was one of the first in line. They were entirely like unhelpful with his rebooking. But the, the funniest thing was he kept sending me videos because it was complete chaos. People were shouting, throwing things, getting aggressive, which I understand if it's been seven hours and you're back at the gate where you originally left <laughs> seven yeah. hours prior and people are being very unhelpful. So all in all, not a great experience for my dad. He ended up leaving on the same flight the next day. He was rebooked to that. Uh, and that was also three hours delayed, but luckily it didn't turn With around. a different aircraft like, or that was, yeah, different that was aircraft. the same aircraft? Different aircraft, different aircraft still aircraft, three hours delayed. And um, yeah, that was my dad's fun Air India experience. Honestly, I've never been like 
I refuse to fly Air India. But after this, I'm kind of like, mm, okay, maybe I will choose not to fly them, even though they have a beautiful new A350 that everyone's talking about. <laughs> I don't think it changes it, the the spirit of the airline. It is it is the talk of the town, isn't it? Just the <laughs> uh, the new chapter, and I get it because they're hopeful of what a brand new modern state of the art aircraft like the 350 will represent to an airline that has struggled in recent years. So, you know, I get their feelings of of hope. And look, good luck to them. I hope that that is. I think that they've got decent leadership. And I think that there is potential for our India. But but at the moment, I mean, there are still documented evidence that Air India is still going to Air India in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in many scenarios, including uh, with your fathers. Sticking to the uh, India market just for now, it is staggering how many grounded aircraft there are in India because of the troubles that Indigo is facing still. I mean, until today mm. with the A320neo, not specifically with the aircraft, but with the engines, the Pratt and Whitney engines. And the reason this continues to blow my mind is because this just gets worse and worse and worse. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of aircraft. I mean, there are at least 75 to 80 that are grounded right now at India's largest airline because of Pratt and Whitney engine issues that have been ongoing ever since the introduction of the A320neo with Pratt and Whitney engines. And the reason always, so I always link this with us, with you and I, because we were both on that delivery flight That's on, the, on Lufthansa's first A320neo. That's where we met, right? And we spoke about that right earlier in episode one, months and months ago. And do you remember Sarah from Pratt and Whitney who was sat on the aisle seat next to me? No, I, I, I honestly don't. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> okay. So I don't think she works for Pratt anymore. And she, she was, um, she had a, a leadership role in, in Pratt and she <laughs> was telling us back then, we were saying, you know, what about all these reports that airlines are fa going to be facing difficulty with the Pratt and Whitney engines? And don't forget the very reason we were on a Lufthansa delivery of the 320neo is because Qatar Airways was supposed to be the launch customer. And they said, absolutely not because this engine doesn't work. And so they, they, they removed themselves entirely from being a 320neo operator it fell to Lufthansa and she said to us she was like with with such confidence bless her she said to us she was like you'll see she was like six weeks six <laughs> weeks and, so, and it's and it's all going to be sorted six weeks right <laughs> and here we are and I, I've said this before in the previous podcast almost yes, 10 years later okay <laughs> almost 10 years later with the same issues. Why is this newsworthy now? There are reports, as I'm sure you've seen, that Indigo is coming to some kind of deal with different operators, including Qatar Airways, in order to wet lease some extra aircraft because the poor guys have no planes. They're all on the ground. It's not only them. It's Go Air as well, which is obviously quite a, a bit smaller, but I'm looking at their yeah. fleet page. They're an Indian low-cost airline as well. They have five A320s and then 49 A321neos. That's their fleet. But all those planes have the Pratt & Whitney engines and their schedule has suffered immensely as well. My question is always how much financial aid or compensation can they get from Pratt & Whitney? Because this is 
entirely unacceptable in my opinion. Yeah, it's crazy. And and I think that they go through periods of being a bit more vocal and then a bit quiet. And I think the quieter period means that, you know, that, that ultimately money is coming through in order to compensate them. So, yeah, it's it's quite unbelievable. But we this is aviation. You know, there are so many issues a- across the board. And, and that also brings us in nicely to to what happened with Egypt Air. And this is really interesting because around, and I'll speak directly to the listeners now because you know this part, but a couple of weeks ago, guys, I had told Dan that I was having dinner with a delegation from Egypt. They were uh, an aviation sector delegation for, across government and also across Egypt Air. And they were in town. And so we went for dinner and they surprised me by telling me, and I had not, I had not seen a single hint of this anywhere. I mean, there was not a suggestion. They said to me, yeah. Uh, I said, how were things with the Airbus A220? Of course, that was the C-Series, the Bombardier C-Series now belonging to Airbus, the A220. Passengers love this aircraft. I love it. You love it. It's great. But it's been a bit of a nightmare in the Middle East in terms of maintenance and how it's performing in the Middle East climates. And so I said, oh, how's it going, guys? How are you got A220s? And he, he shocked me and he said to me, Oh, they're going back. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean going back? It was like, yep, they're going back. It was like, we can't. We have so many issues with these little aircraft. He said, they are uh, all of them. I said, well, two or three of them are going back. He said, no, no, all of them. He said, because ultimately the maintenance that is required and the cycles that were promised versus the reality of uh, the cycles that are, um, when I mean cycles, I mean, basically it's the timing of which the aircraft constantly requires some form of maintenance in between flights or after flights. He said, it's just off the charts. It's off the scale. It's it's financially disastrous. And they're going back. Uh, and I, I, it was hard. It was quite hard for me to believe that the whole fleet is going back. Of these said, brand yep. new, we should say that the A220 is so in demand. The wait list is huge. People like airlines cannot get their hands on this plane fast enough. Absolutely. And it's incredibly popular. But there were early questions about the performance in the Middle East and specifically in desert climates and climates that have uh, extremely hot temperatures and so on and so on. Those questions have been here since the beginning of this aircraft's lifetime, back when it was just a Canadian Bombardier jet. I remember it was doing a sales campaign around the world, which is where they take new planes and they basically become like a moving showroom and they move around from place to place to try to woo potential customers. So they go to Oman and they get Oman Air to come down and they say, look at this beautiful plane. This is what it could deliver to you guys. Then they move from Oman across to Pakistan, then to Singapore, to Australia and so on and so on. I remember in the early days, Dan, the Middle East being absolutely skeptical. All the golf carriers I spoke to saying, we didn't like what we saw. We we know that this is not going to uh, to, to be performing related to engine issues. Yeah. So so he, he tells me this. I text you, don't I? And I tell you that this is, you know, wow, this is this is quite big. But I say, OK, I'm going to uh, going to look into it, see if there's anything that I can uh, see. I mean, of course, well, I well, believe the gentleman. This is coming. Yeah. You said let's wait yeah, until cool. we have some official word about this. Yeah, because, you know, I was conscious that he just mentioned it casually at, at dinner. And uh, and so. I thought, let's see if I can get something on the record, uh, either with with the delegation or with that with their colleagues. And then, so I think I put it to the back of my mind. Four days later, the news is everywhere. 
Breaking news, Egypt Air dumps its entire Airbus A220 fleet and it just every major uh, aviation network, even the non-aviation networks and your Reuters and your Bloombergs and so on, are all leading with the fact that this brand new fleet of A220s are all going back. Now, the funny part is many of the networks didn't have any clue why. Most were able to guess it was to do with engine issues. And uh, and that is, of course, the reason why. Yeah, that's... It's so sad because Egypt Air really needs some nice, new, fresh airplanes. But you said that Airbus will buy back these planes at retail price. So it's the the aircraft are based actually uh, from a, a US-based leasing company, ah, okay. Azora. And so it's Azora that are taking them back. And so Azora... Uh, and so where he had told me that they were going back and ultimately they were not losing any money because they were going back at exactly what they had bought them, at the same price they had purchased them for, that seems to also have been absolutely true because in all of the headlines, it is that Azora have purchased the 12 Airbus A220s from Egypt Air, who of okay. course they had leased them out to. So it's, uh, it's something that, uh, that Egypt Air have not really lost much money on. And and I think this is just a funny example of an airline saying, we are not going to be continuing this with issues for years to come. Just yeah. get rid of them now, which is quite rare. But isn't it, it's kind of scary thinking about the state of modern aircraft because here we have the A220 yeah. problems. We just spoke about the A320neo with the Pratt & Whitney engines. Problems. The 737 MAX, obviously problems. So every single yeah. plane has some serious issues for some operators that just, it's, it's crazy that this is where we are. I know. And of course, I always see commercial air travel as something that waves, you know, so there are the kind of the troughs and the peaks and we, we have a great period and then it kind of goes down a bit, then it comes back up a bit and back down a bit. And that's why I'm always very, very keen to warn when, for example, Boeing is going through immense troubles, which it is right now, and let's be clear, Boeing is absolutely in full-on crisis mode once again. I don't think it ever left that crisis. The crisis has just slowly quietened and then now progressively worsened. People were quick to jump to say, oh, this is a great news for Airbus. They must be... And always, it doesn't work like that, to be honest, because look elsewhere. Boeing, uh, Airbus have a whole bunch of brand new aircraft sitting on the ground in India there, uh, return from Egypt here because of engine issues, supply chain, engine cycles, maintenance, and so on and so on and so on. You know, there there is no... The industry works well when the whole industry is performing well because it means the supply chain is intact, regulators are working, safety is at an all-time high, and so on and so on. So that's why it's important that it's in both Airbus and Boeing's interest that both are doing all right. Yeah, the last plane that we haven't discussed with issues, of course, just in the past week or weeks, Royal Jordanian took delivery of the sort of competitor to the A220, although to me it's in an entirely inferior league, the Embraer 195E2. So this will be another, yeah. I mean, almost identical climate to Egypt. So it'll be very interesting to see how they do with that aircraft course different engines and everything but it's uh yeah there's hopefully that's good news for you for royal jordanian definitely definitely and that was just a week ago royal jordanian have received their first two embraer e195 e2 aircraft 
they, funnily enough, are coming from Azora, which is the same oh, leasing really? company that have just purchased Egypt Air's 8020s that they no longer want slash need. Royal Jordanian, it will be interesting to see how they're going to be deploying these jets and, of course, the performance, how it's going to how it's going to maintain a decent dispatch reliability in the Middle East because it's not specifically a challenging region and Airbus and Boeing have you know, been just fine here for decades and decades and decades. It's something to do with new aircraft, specifically new engines on new aircraft, and that's what has been the issue. Royal Jordanian were very kind enough to invite me to the delivery of the Embraer E195-E2 jets. There were two of them in Amman. Unfortunately, due to prior work commitments, I was unable to join them, but I was looking forward to, uh, to reporting back. But I'm going to go check them out soon so we can uh, we can have uh, some a bit, a bit of a lowdown as to how they're going to use them and also if there are Good. any concerns there. Because I was a bit... I've been tracking them on flight radar and I was like, what? Because they're not sending these to Istanbul and Cairo and Kuwait. They're sending yeah. them to Amsterdam, Brussels, Frankfurt, five and a half hour flights. I'm like, what? You could fly, you know, okay, I guess Kuwait Airways also has a lot of a- A320s if you're up there. But it's just crazy that yeah. you could be connecting and you end up on an Embraer on an almost six hour flight. To me, I'm like, yes, yeah. okay, great for fuel efficiency, but that's not where I hoped those aircraft would be going. Oh my God, it's funny because one of those documentaries on YouTube that is like from a UK-British show that follows the behind the scenes of EasyJet in recent years, they were, they were showing, um, they were showing it's EasyJet's first flight from London, Gatwick to Aqaba in Jordan. The flight is almost six hours and these passengers are boarding this EasyJet aircraft at, at, for a six hour flight. Now, I'm looking at them boarding and I'm thinking, do, uh, do, <laughs> do, they, do they know? Do, do, <laughs> Do they know that they're there for six hours? Like, yeah. have, have they seen that ironing board um, yeah. <laughs> that they're about to sit on? I mean, EasyJet are great for, you know, the small short hops, but six hours, I would start looking at potentially other yeah. options. You know, other economy classes are probably going to be a bit more comfortable than your short haul. But look, hey, Definitely. if they get you there cheap and cheerful with a good fare, that's what you want. Yeah. Then, then that's all right. Yeah, I guess. That box. While we're in the Middle East, one thing that I saw this week and we this is all it's funny how all these things we've been talking like discussing behind the scenes are now really coming to fruition have you seen what's going on with Oman Air's summer schedule for this year I have and this is the the shrink plus sporadic will add there 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 instead is that is that what you're referring to yeah the shrink the, the shrink yeah of Oman yeah so, I mean, uh, this this upsets me a little bit, but go on. I'll, I'll let you introduce what, yeah. what's happening in Oman. It's just absolutely, I don't, I can't think of the last time an airline that isn't officially bankrupt has cut its schedule as much as Oman is, as Oman Air is doing starting at the end of no. March. So, for example, we're going to see many long haul destinations that were previously served by 787s maybe once or twice daily now being downgraded to 737s. Again, on six, seven-hour flights, 737s or 737 maxes, some are even being cut. Like, for example, there are some European routes like Munich that are being cut from five week, actually, yeah, five weekly 787 to four weekly 737 max. And we, it's all across the board, these types of things, reductions from daily to a few times a week. Uh, cancellations of multiple daily frequencies. It's a, I I don't know how many percent of their capacity is going, but 
I would guess it's close to a third almost. It's it's so sad. And I, I genuinely mean that because Oman Air is a wonderful national carrier of Oman, you know, a smaller, quieter Gulf carrier with so much potential. I can't even begin to explain as the amount of potential this this airline has. And unfortunately, through a restructuring process and a consultancy that has a reputation of only taking the sledgehammer to the airline and its operations, Oman is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking in a time where they should be going for growth. Yeah. I mean, Oman Air were already far too small. They were already too small. The, and, and I understand that they are very far away from being financially sound and they haven't been profitable for a long time. And there is immense and tremendous work. Oh, I'm going to sound like Trump. Tremendous work. <laughs> so beautiful. It's a beautiful little airline. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of work that would need to go into making that airline financially healthy. But I absolutely, fundamentally, and wholeheartedly disagree with the path that Oman Air is now about to follow, which is to shrink and shrink and shrink. And I've spoken to some of my Omani friends who have said that they also have expressed their disappointment in this. And they think that the, the plan there is they will shrink in order to grow. But when? Yeah. I mean, this is, this, is, this, is not, this is not the time. Every other airline is growing. We are seeing routes we haven't even dreamt of. American Airlines has just announced Dallas to Brisbane nonstop, <laughs> you know, as Australia tries to open up a little bit to the idea of foreign carriers, which we discussed last week. And you've got Oman Air, who, who could see what happened to Etihad and could position themselves to be a stronger, maybe boutique golf carrier focused on either connections or bringing the world to Oman and sending Omanis to the world and so on and so on. And Oman is a stunning destination for everything. It Beaches, is. mountains, rainforest. They are absolutely blessed with what they have at their doorstep. And unfortunately, their national carrier, at the direction it's following right now, is is far away from being a firm, an organization, an ambassador to the country that could, you know, bring everyone proudly to Oman. Instead, they're just taking a sledgehammer and slashing routes, slashing destinations, slashing destinations in key markets where the majority of those nationalities are the majority nationality in Oman. For example, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, India, and so on. They're just, uh, it's sad. And I, 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 yeah. I disagree with the path that they're following. And the, the crazy thing is that it's not like they have an inefficient fleet. They have a lot of 737 Maxes. They have 787s. So all, everything is there to work well. They have a state-of-the-art, beautiful hub airport in Muscat. So yeah. the problem is that when you shrink, with every reduction in frequency or reduction in capacity, well, mainly frequency, you're becoming less and less competitive. So your business, in a way, is actually less and less in a good place the more routes you cut. When you're trying to compete with the likes of Qatar Airways or Emirates for connections, then, of course, this this really hurts tourism to Oman as well because capacity will be lower, prices will be higher, presumably. So it's all around a huge loss. And then, you know, more traffic might go to Qatar Airways, more goes to Etihad and Emirates, which is our next topic. And um, Oman deserve, you know, o Oman deserve 
a solid national carrier, even if they had retired from the idea of being a transit carrier, so that that focused on only doing flight connections, they deserve a solid national carrier that is able to serve the country as a top tier destination, which it is. It just it's just nowhere on the focus. And I, I don't understand. I mean, the CEO has been taken out of his position, Abdulaziz Al-Raizi. It's mostly being run now by a consultancy firm and also the government. And it's always not great when parts of the government are involved with the daily management of, of an airline. I am hearing that they will be announcing a new CEO of Oman Air in the coming weeks. And I'm also and his hearing His name is Alex Macheras. <laughs> Can no, you imagine? I mean, I would love, I would love to get my hands on this wonderful little airline and and bring it to realize its full potential. But that's not happening just yet. So for now, I've, I'll stick with the on air podcast. But I, <laughs> I'm hearing that the new CEO will be announced in coming week in the coming weeks. Apparently, he's from Australia. Uh, that's all I know at the moment. I will keep, of course, no, just just between us, the listeners. I'll keep uh, everyone uh, updated. The more that I hear, I mean the. The last point on this I want to make is that a recent press release came from them where they were saying that they were super proud that a um, analytical firm had had proven that Oman Air, quote, leads the world in on-time performance, which of course means nothing when you're barely flying. So yeah. I would hope that <laughs> and they, all, many of you your know, flights are well, empty. <laughs> right. So, you know, please, let's, let's, if, <laughs> let's have Oman Air not waste the next few years continuing to shrink and then just fall off of uh, a cliff and into the shadows. Let's have a, a strong carrier that uh, that the Omanis deserve. Emirates, you wanted to talk about now with yeah. uh, Boeing. What has Tim Clark been saying? Tim Clark is the bad... Okay, I feel like it's bad to call him badass, but he kind of is the badass CEO of... No, not CEO, president of Emirates. President. Emirates Group, yeah. yeah. And uh, he... I should say he's also, he's also Sir Tim Clark. Oh my gosh, okay. Everyone, I know you all heard that. I'm not going to cut it out, but I said the right thing. Yeah. Uh, Sir Tim Clark, yeah. the esteemed, has yeah. come out against Boeing. So last year, we were talking about how he was making some interesting comments kind of out of nowhere about the A350 and its performance in Middle Eastern desert climates. And we all kind of looked at Etihad and Qatar Airways and went, what? <laughs> They're operating them without a problem. <laughs> now, <True>. yeah. <laughs> Now he has come out against Boeing because Emirates is the biggest customer of the 777X. They have over a hundred of those on order, a plane that's infamously delayed by over five years. And now he has said that Boeing is in, quote, the last, why am I, the last chance, the last chance. He's British, so, Dan. The last chance saloon. <laughs> and Boeing, no, Emirates is sending its own engineers to the Boeing uh, manufacturing floor to make sure that they get their stuff together, which that's kind of bad when you're buying a product from someone, but you need to send your own employees to check that they don't mess up. And by the way, it's very normal for an airline to send their employees to deal with the customer acceptance phase of when an aircraft is bound for that airline and they deal with the, they deal with the aircraft that are specifically going to them uh, in terms of the checks, the inspections, the test flights, it's all part of the customer acceptance phase before then they do what's called the transfer of title where it goes from being, for example, a Boeing aircraft into being an Emirati aircraft registered with Airline X, such as Emirates. What's not normal is for an airline to be sending engineers to oversee 
production in general, which is literally him admitting that they have serious concerns. I mean, this is the unprecedented part in what on earth is going on in the production process of, for example, the Boeing 777 at Boeing and one of its biggest suppliers, Spirit Aerosystems, who make the door that blew out on the Alaska Airlines 737, and we'll come to that in a minute. So he's sending engineers to observe the production of the 777 and also of its supplier, Spirit. That wouldn't, I mean, that would be unthinkable years ago. That's you know, embarrassing. To, to have that, yeah, to, to, to have the trust broken in such a way that you now feel the need to send your own guys to be standing there with a clipboard is something that would have been previously unthinkable and is now almost to have been expected because, and I quote Sir Tim here, he says that he has seen a progressive decline in Boeing. And this is why he said that they're in the last chance saloon. And uh, and yeah, this is all just uh, this is all just that Boeing crisis that continues to worsen. And of course, just last night, Tuesday night, we had the National Transportation Safety Board, that's the NTSB, the investigators over in the US, release their initial report as to what on earth happened when that mid-air blowout occurred on the Alaska Airlines 737 MAX at the beginning of this year. And the main finding, and you can see the report, I've shared a link to it on, on Twitter, at Alex in Air, but the main finding was that up to four bolts were missing from the emergency exit door panel that detached in flight from the, from that flight, uh, the Alaska 737. Now, Crazy. missing because they were not there in the first place seems to be the most likely scenario. Maybe they were there when the aircraft was delivered, but then when the supplier, Spirit Aerosystems, had quickly undertaken some modification work in those early weeks of the delivery, it is said that the modifications were centered around that door. And so maybe they had removed the bolts and failed to put the bolts back in. It's an initial investigation, so it's not conclusive, but that's that's what it's pointing to at the moment. Either way, it's a shit show. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to finally get an official opinion or an official uh, something on this. And isn't it just, yeah, I can't imagine how embarrassing it is when an airline CEO says this. Or, uh, airline president. Sorry, I, I just feel like we never talk about airline presidents, only CEOs. Just like when celebrities start beef. I feel like every time an airline CEO says something or an airline executive of any form says something about an, a manufacturer like this, it's always with some other intention because they have of no course. reason to damage the reputation of Boeing when they fly a fleet that's 50% Boeing planes unless they want something yeah. out of Boeing. Of course. And I, so, ready? Okay, you're the president of Emirates tomorrow. Are you laying into Boeing to make sure that you get some discounts going forward? Yeah, now's a good time. Now's a great time to do it. <laughs> uh, so, so, it's exactly. So, both... Two things can be true at the same time, right? Does 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 could Satim have an agenda here? Absolutely. But is he also spot on in terms of the declining Boeing and the way that they need to get their shit together? Definitely. So I would argue he's absolutely correct on, on both counts there. Yeah, fair enough. Speaking of high quality airlines that are world leaders, 
United Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> Now I understand the joke. Go on. <laughs> has uh, has some very interesting updates because obviously we've spoken about it many times here on the podcast. U.S. airlines are not world famous for their amazing in-flight service. And United had done a survey with their passengers, with their loyal passengers, I guess, that found that service is more important than price to people, which I'm like, okay, whenever you ask someone in a survey, they're always going to, many times I think they'll say something that they believe, but then when it comes down to a flight being more expensive than another one or any product being more expensive, people will second guess it and be like, mm, do I need better service? Do I really need to spend $10 extra for people to smile at me? So basically, yeah. United has now decided, all right, we're going to step it up. So they have asked flight attendants, not you know, commanded them to do this because this is a U.S. carrier with unions, but they've asked flight attendants to now Firstly, hang up customer coats in premium classes. Okay, small difference. Maybe bigger nice. difference. Remain quiet in the galley during flights. And I'm on a, I'm shocked they asked flight attendants at a U.S. airline to do this. Because if you've ever flown a U.S. airline, you know those galleys, it's like a bird's nest. Especially at night. You just hear, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> so loud. With no filter while everyone is sleeping. So if if they can yeah. get cabin And crew... And it's always yeah. workplace gossip, isn't it? It's yeah. always workplace gossip about how like, oh, Amy, oh, Amy totally missed her like Minneapolis flight. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah. And I'm thinking, what on earth? I'm always thinking it's, it's they're saying things the passengers totally should not be hearing. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so yeah. pissed at my manager right now. Like these hours they're working us is not good and i'm just like mm, okay or it's something completely unrelated like you know oh my god last yeah. night someone snorted cocaine off my ass in miami <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like you should not be saying this at work uh and the last thing they've asked is that they should actually thank passengers for their business which i also think is great in my reviews i always say that on You know, Middle Eastern Airlines, East Asian Airlines, that's one of my favorite things when the purser comes around and just says, you know, thanks for flying with us today. We're really happy you chose us. Uh, my name is X and, you know, I'm here if you need anything. And the main thing is that they've asked flight attendants not to use their cell phones on board, which I think is great. There's nothing as, I wouldn't say um, there's nothing as unpleasant as this, but it isn't nice when you go to the galley and you ask for help where where is this or can i have this and flight attendants are either playing candy crush texting doing whatever on their cell phones and completely not willing to help you you know i i love it also feels very wholesome on airlines where they ban cell phones and you see flight attendants yeah. reading a book and you're just like ah this is nice and then it feels a bit more approachable well it's funny isn't it because you wouldn't expect you you, you don't you wouldn't expect to approach the cashier at at Zara and, and she'd be playing Candy Crush, nor would you expect that in a hotel or in a restaurant. So we understand why as an airline, you would expect that to be extended across. I mean, typically the US carriers have always had to be really careful, haven't they, about what they ask of their staff in terms of behavior and decorum and so on. Because as you say, they just get slapped back by the unions in, in who are citing everything from free speech to, you know, workers' rights and so on and so on. Which is fine, but also, you know, 
the basics of, for example, not being on your phone at work is something that I thought a 12 year old is told by their parents on their first voluntary job at the local golf course. <laughs> yeah, know? not it's, to mention uh, the fact that in the US, the flight attendants, every time they'll be like, we are not, well, they won't say what they're not there for, but they'll say, our job is to be here for your safety, not for service. They're always emphasizing that. That's why we don't have to be nice, whatever. And how safe is it during takeoff to have a flight that's attendant? That's why we texting? don't have to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what I feel that they mean. But that's why we don't have to be nice. Yeah, there there have been flight attendants who are using their phones during ta- takeoff and landing when they are supposed to be manning yeah. the exits, the most important time. So this, I'm happy yeah. to see United do this. I've said many times, I think United has really improved a lot in the past years. Their seats are great. Their bedding is great. But they obviously still have a long way to go before we're going, oh my God, I can't wait to fly United tomorrow. Yeah, well, you, and even then you'll be years, saying that years before uh, I will be. But <laughs> the, sure. to to bring us um, back to Europe briefly, Finnair, of course, we, we, we said about how they were having that almost total shutdown across the 1st and 2nd of February. Well, it's all over and fine now. It, it did go ahead. Passengers were rerouted and so on, and it's all fine. Finnair are now back to normal operations, or as normal as they can have in a time where Russia has invaded Ukraine and they've lost most of the access that they relied on for their long-haul routes. But there is another development out of one of our favourite little Finnish carriers, Finnair, which is that they will start weighing passengers at Helsinki Airport. And they're going to be doing this because it's a requirement that is every uh, every so often, every few years. The last time they did this was back in 2017. This is a requirement by their Civil Aviation Authority. And basically, it's a way in which the airline will be collecting data, the weighing data, f- to make and update those average calculations that are required uh, to be key inputs into flight data, into knowing the average weight of a flight based on the averages of uh, male and female passengers, kids, and so on and so on. And so the only way they can get these updated records is by ultimately taking real-world data, which involves you, Sir Dan, stepping (laughs) onto the scales voluntarily, dare I I add, I I must add voluntarily. So the airline wants to reassure that you have nothing to worry about because if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. And the pre-boarding weigh-in is absolutely voluntarily and only those that opt-in are going to have to do it. And the airline is also keen to, uh, this may be laugh, keen to uh, overstate that the weights will not be recorded into your frequent flyer profiles or to your booking <laughs> information. Can you imagine? <laughs> and it's not something that you're going to uh, see when you open up your booking uh, that, uh, you know, that you were weighing this much at this time. It goes only to the airline and nobody else. I want to ask you, and I'm not, just out of curiosity, would you do it? Would you have any issue doing it? Of course. I I mean, especially for Finneir, I would happily get weighed. I don't have an issue getting weighed at all. I mean, preferably the number wouldn't be like displayed on the check-in on like the screens above the gate. <laughs> 40C weighs 81 kilos. No, but of course I wouldn't mind. What about you? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't, I don't see a real issue with it, but I can absolutely see why 
some would have a real issue with it. And I can also see why some would think this is just completely an invasion of, you know, if you, if, if you don't want to be thinking about that yourself, the last thing you want is the airline inviting you into something like that. And I know that we've we've discussed this before, but it is interesting because it's just one of those real world things. Even though society can feel very touchy and sensitive about that and it feels a bit too personal, a bit too, you know, back away. This is something that I'm uh, is personal to me and I don't want to have of all stakeholders my airline think about my weight <laughs> aircraft rely on accurate input of weight and balance and those averages have to be updated because if as a society we are weighing more or perhaps weighing less then our airlines have to know about it and the only way they're going to know about it is if dan on his next fin air flight steps up onto those scales with no issue without fear or favor and uh, and then reads out the result to his uh to the, to the public, yeah, <laughs> they can just all... include it yeah. in my video. <laughs> no, but exactly. I I just always find it a bit random when it's voluntary because what kind of data are you getting then, and how do they mitigate the selection bias of only average or you know ideally weighted people stepping on that scale? I don't I don't quite know how that works. Oh yeah, because no. isn't there a bias that like isn't there a very real bias scenario that could be that those that are satisfied with what they weigh are more would be more inclined to step onto the scales than those that are not, which would then somehow give you know. Yeah, absolutely, I think so. Uh, another thing, uh, there's there's two more things to talk about in Europe, so we'll try to get through this because we have so much Q and A, and I have to quiz you on would you rather because this is going to be so juicy. First, Lufthansa strike today. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyone flying Lufthansa, lucky you, you don't have to fly Lufthansa. No I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not that oh, bad. Goodness. <laughs> but um sad thing is, since it's a strike in this case, you will not be entitled entitled to EU compensation. Yeah. And the strike is is happening because the union is advocating for a twelve point five percent pay increase, which is basically an additional five hundred euros a month for uh, nearly 25,000 employees over a 12-month period. And it's everything from check-in staff, aircraft handling, maintenance, cargo, and so on and so on. And they also are asking for a one-time payment of 3,000 euros to offset inflation, to basically cope with, the, with, with how high inflation has been over months and months and months. And, that, and the union is saying that, you know, the high cost of living, which, by the way, is everywhere and has been for a while now, uh, combined with the heavy workload of the aviation sector is the reason why it warrants a, a pay rise. Lufthansa have criticized it. They said the scale of the strike is uh, is uh, is um, not something that, uh, that, they're, that they're very happy with. They're saying that there's going to be significant disruption today considering they have a daily schedule of around 3,000 flights. There's going to be a lot of disruption. And the strike coincides, of course, with ongoing contract negotiations that are happening elsewhere in Germany across rail, air, the local transport sector. It's been a bit of a a challenging time at the moment there. Thoughts we were also prayers. going to visit Yeah, we were also going to visit Poland, right? Yes. I, I would love if you cover the what it says, but basically to me I'm like <gasps> because the past few weeks I have also pestered Alex with this. I've been a little bit like, okay, is is World War Three actually going to be a thing? And when I read this, I was like, no, this this can't be happening. This is the start of the rest of Europe becoming unsafe. So please tell us. So the whole World War Three thing is is a bit weird, right? Because in the last, 
I don't know, people started talking about it in the last few weeks and we were like, what are they doing? And you were sending me all these links and you were becoming hyper aware to it. And I was saying, Dan, stop it. They're just somehow and for some reason manifesting war, which is just awful. But anyway, and of course, it doesn't help that Trump is trying to get elected and 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 beat Nikki Haley. And he's coming out with all sorts of things that the world needs him because World War Three has already started. And apparently he's linking up and other stakeholders are linking up how what's happening in Gaza and the Middle East is directly linked with what's happening with Iran, with Yemen, which is linked as a result of the Russian invasion into Ukraine and so on and so on and so on. And before you know it, you've got this overflowing um, melting pot of conflict, right? Yeah. So I said to you, just kind of, you know, stay calm and <laughs> don't doom scroll. Don't, don't, don't doom scroll too much. <laughs> yeah. Dan, stay calm. Number one. Okay. Right. <laughs> Focus. Number two, stop doom scrolling. Right. Yeah. Number three, maintain perspective. Not everything is linked. Don't get me wrong. Many things, especially geopolitically, are linked. Many people do not realize just how much things are linked between stakeholders and different areas and so on and so on. Separate to that, of course, we had a bit of real news, which is that Poland have issued a NOTAM, and we've spoken before in a previous episode about what a NOTAM is. It's essentially a notice issued by either the Civil Aviation Authority, the state itself, the government, and so on and so on. And it's a notice to all stakeholders of the aviation ecosystem. And I'm trying to make this as easy to understand as possible. There is a more kind of aviation jargon related way I could explain this, but I'm going to put that on the shelf. So it's basically a, a notice. So why would I have a NOTAM? If I am operating Alex International Airport, might I add would be the, the world's most efficient five-star hub, sure. the airport itself would be releasing on behalf of the state NOTAMs to warn that, for example, Dan is building a rival airport just next to me. And so there are cranes around. So I would be warning flight crew who are operating to Alex International to be mindful of the fact that on final approach path, there are cranes on the left-hand side and so on and so on. For Dan's so I'd dilapidated say that, uh, airport. <laughs> for, for Dan's stupid little airport is his vanity project because he's trying to compete with me. And then I would also put in that NOTAM things like, and uh, uh, all... All aircraft registered in Dan's state are banned from flying in my <laughs> state. And so Dan would have no choice but to read that NOTAM and adhere to it or face the full force of my military. And it's not something that he would be willing to do. So the, this is this is in a lighthearted way. That's the role of a NOTAM. Poland issued this NOTAM just recently outlining how there is going to be, quote, unplanned military activity related to ensuring state security can be expected within the area. So basically, the notice says there's going to be military activity and it plots on a map where it will be. And that becomes essentially a no-go zone for commercial air travel. There are so many no-go zones as a result of NOTAM notices right now worldwide. This now becomes another one of them. It's in the east of the country. It's covering a vast tract of airspace in the east of the country. And it's along its border with Belarus, extending all the way to that little Russian micro state. It's in yeah. Kaliningrad. K Kaliningrad. Yes. Kaliningrad. There we go. My apologies. So British. Uh, on the Baltic coast. Just don't and care about the rest of the world. That's... You know? uh, 
Yeah. Okay, you continue this. You finish it. Okay, go on. <laughs> no, I mean, it's ba- yeah, it's basically the a part of the right side of Poland, if you look at the map. The concern, so yeah. air, aircraft are allowed to fly here. They just have to be on heightened alert. They need to have their radio systems set yeah. differently. But but most will not. That's the thing. When these kind of NOTAMs are issued, most despite them not forbidding airlines from going there, most airlines would take the decision, we can probably go around. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, poor Finnair, back to Finnair. The, the route to Asia just keeps getting longer for them. It's, it's terrible. I know. Well, with that, we have many questions. What do you want to do first, Q&A or you want to do your stupid little quiz? <laughs> Let's do Q&A <laughs> and you then do? you guys wait to the end for the stupid little quiz where we expose <laughs> Alex. <laughs> okay, so let's kick things off with the first question, which is from William. He's messaging via Instagram. He says, hi, Alex and Dan, big fan of the podcast. I'm really curious to know, why does HSBC have the monopoly when it comes to advertising on jet bridges? Do you know how much they pay and how long they have the rights to do so? I guess they're just huge on sponsoring certain airports. Do you know why, Alex? Yeah, so this is this actually stems from, I remember I looked into this ages ago. This stems from the fact that HSBC's tagline quite a long time ago, some time ago now, was the world's local bank. And so as a result, they wanted their branding everywhere that, you know, felt a bit of continuity as you travel internationally, I don't think categorically they are the monopoly. I don't think any anyone has the monopoly. But are they one of the world's largest advertisers on airport jet bridges at international airports? Absolutely. And you can see HSBC uh, titles, or at least previously, I don't know, in some markets, I haven't checked if they're still there, but everywhere from Vancouver on one side of the world to a lot of Asia, of course, London Heathrow, um, everywhere from... Montreal in Canada to uh, to some uh, some European states, as I said, a, a lot of Asia. I'm not sure about South America if they have. It came down to the fact that it was it was born off of the idea that they were the world's local bank and they would just spend big money on advertising, and that's it. It's just I, I don't know how much they would spend, but it was just uh, an advertising deal ultimately, and that they felt that the jet bridges were the uh, priority there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I just have a quick question from, or not a, not even a question, just something to add to last week's episode from Peter. He says uh, he's listening to the podcast from QF455 to Melbourne, and he says he's Qantas Gold, and he was never asked or invited to appear in a safety video. So I, I think we got quite wow. a few of these type of messages, right? I'm going to form a spreadsheet of every Qantas <laughs> frequent flyer that wasn't asked until I get all of them. And then I'm going to present it to the new leadership of Qantas and say, tell me where you invited Qantas frequent flyers to <laughs> your video because our guys were not invited and they would have happily have done it. And it would have been a shorter version, more concise, better direction. And it would have been to destinations that surprise you actually fly to. Next question. <laughs> exactly. I have quite a fun question here from Tom. He asks... Uh, do we have any packing tips? For example, what we bring on as carry-ons that are essential for us when we travel. For example, if we have any suggestions or things that we cannot travel without. Okay, I'll let you go first. I haven't thought about it enough. Um, I guess if, if I'm thinking about random things that I bring, obviously passports, cash, that type of thing, not random. But um, I always bring like a, a nose 
oil thing like you spray it in your nose because the air can get so dry on planes so it's a bit like moisturizing so you don't get so dry up there i also always bring a spare mask even these days if i'm on a super crowded flight i don't want to be sitting next to 20 people are sneezing and coughing i also always bring a sweater in case it's cold and you know i try to have layers that's another thing i do actually a few years ago i used to always travel with a backpack but then we switched over to only traveling with a roller bag. So we just have always one carry-on, not one plus a personal item. But I just found the roller bag life is is the best. I travel a little bit with a little bit more. So I have the roller remover, as you know, hand luggage bag. So I'm like you in that sense. And then I also, in addition to that, carry the bag that will go under the seat. So I carry a duffel that goes under the seat in front of me and so I would board with two and that's uh, what I managed to kind of squeeze I always always have done and always will do I always carry wipes uh, there is always a pack of wipes Clorox wipes or, or Dettol wipes and so on in my bag um, was doing that long before the pandemic wiping down the armrest and the just the touch points makes me feel better and also I just know that that the turnaround times are so short these days that the cleaners are unable to fully give it a decent clean so i think it's just nicer to know that when you're falling asleep on the sidewall cabin of a short haul aircraft and your cheek is on it you know that it's just been cleaned rather than it hasn't been cleaned in about 15 years um what else what else i definitely agree with you on the layers thing i always carry or have with me or i'm wearing a hoodie no matter even if i am on a Let's say I'm on an a intra-gulf flight from one destination that is 40 degrees to another one that is 40 degrees. Air conditioning makes things freezing, makes things cold. Aircraft are always cabin, uh, aircraft cabins always tend to be colder than you remember, than you realize yeah. when you're getting ready for the flight. So I just think it's always sensible to have a, a hoodie. What else? I mean, maybe charger, maybe, you know, the power bank yeah. thing. Maybe we can like yeah. think, we'll just keep adding like in future episodes. Oh, I thought about this. I thought about this. And then eventually we'll have an extensive list of everything that we bring. I bring an air tag always in, in yeah, each bag. Everything is air tagged also. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Air tags are really important. Sometimes I try to put my case in the locker opposite rather than the locker directly mm, above so that I can see it rather than uh, not know what's going on above, especially if I'm tucked in on the window seat, then you really have no idea. And yeah, and then of course I just try to fly airlines that <laughs> means I can take two bags on and I don't just have to uh, only have one. And sometimes that that's where status really helps out. Yeah, true, because I remember years ago I was doing uh, like an economy comparison that involved Qatar Airways and I was like, world's best airline, here we go. And then they're like, sir, you have two carry-ons. That's not allowed. I was like, yeah, I have a per small personal item and a roller bag. No, not allowed. So Qatar Airways, the official policy, although rarely enforced, is that you're only allowed Never one carry-on in a corner. It, it yeah. is enforced in some stations. It was enforced then in yeah. India. So I guess maybe it's enforced on flights out of India. But I was just like, what? 
Well, of course, we've spoken about it before. In that scenario, you should have marched over to Duty Free, taken a nice big Duty Free bag, put your personal item bag in the Duty Free bag, and then say, hey, look, I just went shopping. I know. The problem is this was... And at that the, applies to so many airlines. Yeah, the problem is this was at the check-in gate, like the check-in uh, place. So yes. I needed to go there to collect yeah. my boarding pass because at least back then they didn't have mobile boarding pass in India. So it was just yeah, this big... Yeah. You know when they put those tags on your bag, like business or economy... On your check-in yeah. or on your carry-on. So that's what happened. Anyway. This question I have here is from Yusuf. He says, do you see any potential for North African carriers like Royal Emirates, Air Algerie, Tunis Air? He's but customer experience aside. To be <laughs> Africa, okay, to be that. in Africa, what Kataroas and Emirates are to Asia, i.e. linking Africa to Europe and the rest of the world. Do you think investing in this market would be a good business model for them? Is, but also, I love the podcast. You guys are amazing. Keep going. Thank you so much, Yusuf. Do I think that there is potential? Of course. And that's why I think we've seen some great, sensible aircraft orders across Royal Air Morocco, Air Algerie, and Tunis Air. Don't get me wrong. These airlines need tidying up. But with a bit more strategy and a little bit of a cleaner structure, and most of this links with years' worth in many of these markets, years' worth, decades' worth, of government bureaucracy and red tape and things like that, I think there is absolutely potential to leverage the strategic position of North Africa and the demand, the the kind of the flows that flow in and flow out by strengthening those carriers, acquiring some long-haul aircraft, being sensible with deployment, and then, of course, working on the customer experience. I know you said customer experience aside, but I think it is important. I am, I am going to mention it. Yeah. And so I think that there is there is huge potential. And I think some examples of that is how in recent years, of course, Royal Air Morocco now a one world partner. And uh, no, they're, they're had, fully uh, so, in one world, thankfully now. Yeah, that's what I sorry. Yeah. That's what I meant. Instead of partner, I meant I meant member. Sorry. Um, and uh, and Air Algerie and Tunisera have, have placed some aircraft orders and so on. So I think that they are pointing at least in the right direction. I just hope that they have both the leadership, the vision and the strategy to be able to take them there because they can really leverage their their positions and their demand is just huge in terms of their global market. Local. So the locals that are global and so on and so on. Alex, you just delivered the best sales pitch ever for Alex Machera's aviation consulting llc like based on what you said you're like you have so much potential you just need to figure a few things out already it already exists it already exists hire me and i'm there there we go and then hire dan i can't do the podcast next week (laughs) no i'm 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 unable to do the podcast because i'm i'm going to be busy sorting out three north african carriers with great potential (laughs) yeah tunis air yeah i'm sure you'll be on air algerie next week yeah, don't throw shade. I'm fixing them, remember? <laughs> Adds them to the list for the would you rather in five minutes. Next question is from John. He says, hi, Alex and Dan. Continuing to love the podcast. That's what we love to hear. Thank you. He says, rumor has it that Taylor Swift recently sold her Falcon 900 LX private jet. If you were Taylor and looking to upgrade your ride in the sky... Which jet would you choose to buy next? Well, now we know what the title of today's episode is, Taylor Swift Private Jet, because that's how to get views. <laughs> um, oh, God. It, it really is. Taylor's, I mean, 
she is a even you go to the New York Times. She's a force, isn't she? Yeah, you go to the New York Times. It's like top articles today. Two Taylor Swift articles topping the entire New York Times. So anyway, if I was Taylor Swift, what would I buy? Um, maybe a no, 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 not if you were Taylor Swift. Oh yes, yes, sorry, it is yeah. Okay, if you were Taylor and looking to upgrade your ride, what jet would you choose to buy next? Yeah. So. Okay. The question is, I, I don't know too much about the jet that she had in terms of capability. Do you? I do. And it's incredibly capable. And also, have you seen that she's trying to sue the same guy that's been tracking her flights and publishing it on Twitter? The same guy that was doing it to Elon, Elon Musk, Musk and he <laughs> removed his account. Now Taylor Swift is trying to sue him. What on earth? This is publicly available data, Miss Swift. This is public available data. Why are we... Why are we attacking? And trust me, if he, if you now make it public by saying that you're going to sue him, you best believe that there are going to be 5,000 others now that are going to be tracking your aircraft, including, dare I say, the hosts of the On Air podcast. And I'm just joking. <laughs> we're too busy for that. Anyway, but. No, but there has been a lot of controversy around her private jet because she she uses it like a car. You know, I I, yeah. I am a fan of Taylor Swift and especially right now, you know, she's being mobbed by MAGA. So I don't want to, you know, take this chance to pile on the criticism, but she uses her private yeah. jet really excessively. And for example, there were some things where like she flew her jet across the US to pick someone up and then fly it all the way back instead of just chartering a different jet for those people so that it doesn't have to fly back and forth, stuff like that. So of course she doesn't want everyone yeah. to know how she does could not care less about the environment. But yeah, it's it's a bad look for her to be suing that guy, that's for sure. And with that out the way, what would you order? <laughs> so if I was a billionaire, where you know, I wouldn't be thinking about private jets. I would be like, hmm, should I get a maybe like an E three twenty one XLR private jet? How awesome would that be? Yeah. Uh, it's true. Sometimes I think that I would prefer, uh, in that scenario, a, a passenger aircraft in a private configuration, like a small, as you said, even like an A319 corporate jet. So the ACJ319, I've flown on a seven-hour flight on a private A319 with three bedrooms, a shower. Oh I mean, it was God. amazing, amazing, amazing. And the fact that it is the same size as... I kept thinking, this is the same size as the British Airways plane that flew me you know, a week ago. Yeah, now it's now there are three bedrooms and a hallway and a, and, and gold and showers, toilet seats probably. and so on and so on. And showers. Yeah, there were showers. It was absolutely stunning. Uh, if But in terms of versatility and access, not having... Having a slightly smaller would perhaps be a bit easier. I would go for the Gulfstream G650ER. I think that the G650 is an incredible powerhouse of a private jet aircraft and i was just recently a few days ago having a an, uh, having an early evening dinner with the president of gulfstream and he, i i just am so continuously impressed by the stats of the g650 and and that family of aircraft i think it's a very cool cool jet yeah the, the one thing as a tall person that frustrates me is that even on the world's most expensive private jet like that, I cannot stand up straight, which 
I think would drive me crazy if I was going to spend 12 hours on a plane and I could not stand up straight. Then it's like, just get me an Airbus A319 or something. So even, even for example, you've tried on like a G650 that they've had on display at air shows and things, you, you cannot stand up fully in the cabin. As far as I recall, no, I, I, I don't think I could, but maybe we, I should try it out again now that I'm conscious of it, but I re- I know. I'll never be able to buy a Gulfstream G650ER because I can't stand up straight. Otherwise, there's no problem. I would buy one straight away. Let's move on to the next question. So, <laughs> wait. By the way, wait. Now that we're on the topic of Taylor Swift and we can add her to the title to get more listeners, okay. should we just say, have you followed this thing about her flying back from Tokyo to the Super Bowl. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, 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 yes. Of course, yes. it's the talk of, I mean, it's everywhere. I think even that was in the New York Times. Like, how is something like this such a big piece of news? But basically, she has a concert, Eras tour in Tokyo. And the next day, you have the Super Bowl where her boyfriend is playing, um, which there's tons of conspiracy theories around. But basically, the thing that makes this very easy for her to make it back in time is the international dateline. If that wasn't there, it would be a bit trickier. Yeah, and what's funny is that the Embassy of Japan has weighed in on this. I mean, you'd think that there are are bigger things going on, but the Embassy of Japan in the US released a statement, and it said, the Embassy of Japan in the United States is aware of the recent media reports concerning the steps Taylor Swift will need to take to travel from Tokyo after her concert on February 10th to Las Vegas in time to watch the Super Bowl. And the embassy have said, despite the 12-hour flight and 17-hour time difference, the embassy can confidently speak now, which I think is a play on words of one yeah. of her songs, is it? Her, okay. uh, an album. Can confidently sp- an album, to speak now, to say that if she departs Tokyo in the evening after her concert, she should comfortably arrive in Las Vegas before the Super Bowl even begins. They continue, We know that many people in Japan are excited to experience Taylor Swift's Eras... Eras tour? Eras tour. tour. Come on. (laughs) Just because she's not coming to Doha. (laughs) Yeah, her Eras tour. E-R-A-S. Eras tour. Okay. We know that many people in Japan are excited to experience Taylor Swift's Eras tour, so we wanted to confirm that anyone concerned can be fearless in knowing that this talented performer can wow Japanese audiences and still make it to the Las Ve- to still make it to Las Vegas to support the Chiefs when they take the field for the Super Bowl wearing red. Embassy of Japan in the United States oh. statement February 2nd 2024. This is the world we're living in ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you you did watch the movie Don't Look Up, right with um Jennifer Lawrence yeah. Leonardo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This is yeah. this is literally that. You know, there's so yeah. many things yeah. That should be in the news headlines. And then it's like the news headlines are literally Taylor Swift, you know, this superstar. Will she make it back in time to see her boyfriend play in a football game? It's like, okay, the yeah. the things that people are obsessed with is kind of funny. And then they're trying to scare you at the same time about World War Three. Seriously. <laughs> um Let's uh, let's go to this question. This question is from Will. You probably know him from YouTube. He's also a YouTuber. Trek Trendy is the channel. Will has written in. He says, love the pod, both of you. What are your views on Boom? So that's Boom Supersonic. That's the uh, the 
startup that are hoping to bring the Sun of Concord hypersonic flights uh, over the coming years. He says, what are your views on Boom and do you think we'll ever see it come to fruition? Is there really a need for supersonic transport? What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I cannot wait to see Will be on the inaugural Boom flight if it ever happens. But I... There have been a lot of problems facing Boom. They lost their engine manufacturer. They were on the hunt for a new one. So things are already very delayed and they haven't even, you know, made... They haven't even started with manufacturing. There's so much that has to happen. So, of course, I hope it happens. I would love to have hypersonic. And they're promising carbon neutral, which in and of itself is quite a fascinating idea. But so far, there's just so many hurdles. So I don't think we'll see it anytime soon. I think one of the main... I think we can come back and have this chat. It's almost like... Tell me when they've got an engine supplier. That, yeah. That's my attitude w- with Boom. Because the fact that they have no power plant supplier, no one that's going to be powering this supersonic aircraft is something that I think is the greatest hurdle of all for them. And I hope that they are going to be able to overcome it because I think it will be great to be able to crack the code once again for supersonic flying. You know, airlines and the industry has cracked the code on life flat beds in business class, affordable economy class seating. You can travel to the other side of the world for less than $200. We've done all that, but it still takes the same amount of time to fly from A to B, no matter what the metrics are, no matter where you're flying in the world and so on. So to be able to, for example, reach London to New York in under three hours, London to the Middle East in under three hours and so on and so on would be would be game changing and would be something that we know people would be willing to pay more for, especially because Boom's idea is that it's only going to cost uh, in line basically with what first class costs uh, or business class costs today. That's somewhere between first and business. That's what they say. But I do think they're a little bit too ambitious with their timelining because they still have no engine supplier. But if there are developments with Boom, you know that we're going to be across it. You know we're going to be discussing it. So we shall keep you posted yeah. on the latest and, there. And you know the thing with this, these types of aircraft is that it it is truly, if they can do it economically and it can be on a wide scale, it just makes me so excited because it's life-changing. Like I grew up in irrelevant Gothenburg with my dad at least a 12-hour trip away in New York because I had to connect and all that stuff. Imagine... Obviously, there wouldn't be boom flights to Gothenburg. But if I had lived in Copenhagen or... My God, this guy (laughs) thinks Gothenburg (laughs) is the center of the world. (laughs) I just said, obviously, there will not be boom flights to Gothenburg. Yeah, you said it, but I don't think you believed it. (laughs) Just like it is life changing to be able to connect families so much quicker, to connect businesses. And hopefully, you know, the world... (laughs) my pessimism right now but the world is in a good state so that we can have this and use it as a as a great way of connecting the world more so alex i know we have like so so much more q a which we'll have to save for next week because i have to grill you in the would you rather on air quiz well let's just before we do that i'll quickly then promise that there are a whole bunch i have here we're going to come to them they're all in the screenshot they're all in the folder and i'll I'll be uh i'll make sure we get to those next week's episode but sure go ahead (laughs) Okay, put some suspenseful music because the thing that inspired this was when we saw American Airlines launch or announce their launching Dallas to Brisbane flights and you said something along the lines of 
you would rather swim. I, I don't know what you said, but it cracked me up and it made me think if only people I don't recall I don't I don't I don't recall saying that. I also don't recall the time where we said that we were going to be disclosing private WhatsApps on the podcast Dan. So two things I don't recall there. <laughs> okay, so so let's do this quiz. Is this the do you want to be a who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Alex Materas, would you rather fly Air Algeries A330? Or Egypt Airs A330. I think. Oh, that is difficult. <laughs> and this is a Egypt Air A330. Egypt Air. In that's okay. You really need to put yourself in the situation where this is not just hypothetical. Yeah. You are getting on these planes, you know. So yeah. next yeah. option, Air India old triple seven or pakistan Goodness. oh now we're really this is going to be controversial pakistan and pia triple seven you do realize my answers in no way reflect my preference in into countries nationalities <laughs> or culture or whatever the fact that you are pinning Air know, India, you know the national carrier of india against the national carrier of pakistan is wholly inappropriate but based on the aircraft and cabin and service itself only goodness um air india yeah i mean that does seem like like the logical choice all right now to go to the region we often talk about would you rather fly syrian airs a340 or mahan airs a340 Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this is like what you have nightmares yeah. about. <laughs> no, that's shocking, okay? Because both of those are not even EASA standard <laughs> European <Yeah>. aviation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think... I know what I'd choose. Because of the sanctions that have hit... Iran for so long and the way that maintenance there is non-existent and despite Syria having so many problems I think I would choose the Syrian A340. Interesting I was gonna say Mahan Air just because it's at least it's former Virgin Atlantic most of them so you kind of right. feel like it, 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 w once upon a time it was something respectable okay let's do two more right. Alex okay. um if you have to choose, let, let's stick to, to these kind of non-EASA <laughs> standard. Yemenia, A320, or Somalian. I don't even know the Somalian. I forget the name. They're 737s. Yemenia, A320. Because it's an Airbus, right? No, I just think that... I've seen them more, so I'm more open-minded <laughs> to traveling with them. Okay, yeah. And there's also fly-by-wire that can hopefully <laughs> step in it yeah. if you need it. Okay, and last but not least, let's do sanctioned countries. So, something that is a bit more realistic. Aeroflot, uh, A350, okay. So, nice and new. Okay. Or a Venezuelan A340. That's a good one. That's difficult. Um, 
I think the answer would have to be the A350 from Aeroflot. There we have it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. You are a Am millionaire. I, do, <laughs> Good job. Do I win anything? <laughs> no, you don't. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, the problem with the podcast, guys, is that if I had asked Alex this off the podcast, <laughs> we would have had very <laughs> animated and graphic objections to my suggestions. But but we did get some this reactions. This is not how you're going to make. This is not how you're going to make the podcast work by promising them that off the podcast is a whole Oh, wow, the world, and there's all these animation and different responses, okay? I am uh, exactly the same on the podcast as I am off the podcast, which is why sometimes I find it funny when someone says, hey, I listen to every episode. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> okay, so so just I was thinking in my head, if I had to fly any of the ones that I just said, I think the two yeah. obvious most, shall I say, common are Air India's 777 and Egypt Air's A330. Those are the ones that... Yeah. Most people are looking yeah. to book. So what about if you just yeah. had to choose between those two, which would you choose? And we're talking Air India's old triple sevens. Egypt Air is A330. Both oh, of them have um, ancient it, cabins. Yeah. So let's say like the route was something completely ordinary, like let's say like London to New York, right? So that yeah. it's not to either markets. We're just comparing those two aircraft. I would choose the A330. What? Yeah. It's because you haven't yeah. flown it. I have flown Air India's 777s and Egypt Air's A330. I would pick okay. Air India's 777 any day. Well, if you, be if honest. you, because you've flown both, because you've flown both, if you would, if you would tell me before, no, no, you should be going for this, then I would, I would take your advice on that. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Good. Very exciting episode. I think this is the most different news topics we have had in a single episode. I wanted to finish by quickly looking. I saw an update on on Bra. You know that little Gothenburg airline you used to be a frequent yeah. flyer on? They're going global, yeah. baby. Are they going global? <laughs> because I saw an update. And by the way, I just Googled it now to try to find what the update is. And I typed in Gothenburg Bra. And you can imagine <laughs> everything is now on my screen except the little national yeah. airline that you used to fly with. Okay. So now I need to go and delete my search history because it's yeah. completely... So, well, what was the update? What was happening with this Gothenburg airline? So they're going global. They are leasing a few ATRs, woo, to Austrian airlines, interestingly enough. So the bra will be flying all over Europe, stationed in Vienna. <laughs> <laughs> this is literally an airline called Bra. Okay? It says on the fuselage in capital letters, B-R-A, which means good in Swedish. I, I should mention for context. What an oxymoron. Well, <laughs> if you're, on that note, uh, with, uh, with ha, that little update. Yeah, we hope, um, you, we hope in, you guys have a bra week. A bra week and a bra weekend. I think he thinks we're supposed to laugh at that, so we'll give him a... <laughs> Thank you, Dad. That was so funny. <laughs> Integrating another Gothenburg joke into the episode. No, but in all seriousness, it's been fun to catch up with you, to, to, to go through what was a big week right in terms of aviation developments and news and then to end it with your little quiz where you tried to somehow show me as being diva but i think i came across as a man of the people so i don't think your agenda even worked yeah <laughs> uh, sure sure next week just to put a little teaser i cannot wait to see as more people start flying with the apple vision pro what that is like yes. so we've already seen some crazy videos but i feel like let's save it for next week when we have even more examples of people doing it so we can see how this will change the world.
Do you think we should buy Apple Vision Pros? I don't think we can get them by next week. And also they cost a fortune, so... I'm just thinking, this is like, this is game-changing for flying. I saw a video. We'll go into it next week. Let's wrap yeah, things up. Yeah, this, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save it for next week. Well, look, thank you guys for being a part of the episode, as always. A whole bunch of you. There, I had about 128 questions this week, which is amazing because now we have this backlog. Continue to send in questions. If you've never sent one before, feel free to find our Instagram, send across a question. We will make sure and pledge that every single question is answered on the podcast. It might not be the week you send it, but it's definitely going to be in those coming weeks. As always, you can like, subscribe, leave your reviews, leave your comments, and they help other people find the podcast. And we've had some recent emails of people that have discovered the podcast only this week, for example, and they've been catching up with previous episodes. Yeah. So we are super thankful to that. As and well. just, I have to say, like some of the written reviews you guys left on Apple Podcasts in the last week made us so happy. Just... Yeah, it's so, so sweet. And we love hearing that you guys like our unnecessary banter and bickering. Yeah, no, it's been fun. It's been real. So once again, thank you for tuning in this week. On behalf of the uh, First Officer, Dan, uh, I'm Captain Alex. Okay. Fly on air. <laughs> and I, I knew that would wind him up. It's a, it's just a metaphor and he can't let it go. If you're a Either captain, way. you're a captain on Syrian Airs A340. Boom. Yeah, wow. Well, okay. <laughs> we spoke about boom. Anyway, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> okay. we shall see you next week. See Thank you, you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.